This Week at Hope Point. But Moses said, if you're pleased with me, bring me into your classroom and put a PowerPoint presentation of your greatness so I will get who you are. Because I don't get who you are right now, God. I'm not stunned enough by you. And because I'm not stunned enough by you, I don't love you as I could and should. Would you teach me your ways? When we say yes to God, He opens the door to endless opportunities for us to see His hand at work. But on the opposite side of that door are circumstances that can cause us to doubt and fear. In that moment, we will decide to be mastered by those emotions, or we will turn to God where we leave doubt and fear with Him. This is what we discover in the life of Moses. When he told the Lord, I can't handle this on my own, I need a helper. God responded, I will be with you every step of the way. You and I will finish this journey together. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. I don't know how far back that uh, the times person of the year goes, but I think if it existed in 1440 BC, Moses would have surely won it. In fact, I think if you look at every leader in the Bible and you know, compare them, I think Moses is every time gonna win the Oscar for the uh, leader in a dramatic series. He's an amazing leader. I just want you to think about, we studied about it a little bit last week and I'm going to finish that up this week. Just think about what he was tasked with by God to lead two and a half million people for 40 years out of one country, a dynasty, world dynasty, into the wilderness for 40 years. And he had no no training in that at all except maybe, maybe a little wilderness training with how to lead sheep. And before he could even lead these people, he had to walk into the office of the most powerful man in the world who was supervising and overseeing the most powerful army in the world with this message from God. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, that's the king of Egypt, and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. The name Pharaoh... um, and Hebrew means big house. <laughs> it's funny. That was simply a boast of the size of his palace. First guy to live in the big house. <laughs> so they were going to the most powerful man in the world. And if you're going to rephrase it today, it would sound something like this. Moses would say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, my God, whom you do not know, is commanding you to repent. And release his people whom you have enslaved for four centuries. You have built an entire economic system on free labor. You didn't even have to pass an infrastructure bill. Because if you wanted it built, the Israelites built it for free. And now to you, Pharaoh, the Lord says, they're going to stop working for you immediately. You're going to let them go. They're going to cross the border and they're going to go hold a party for me, with me in the wilderness. I know that you think you're God. You're not. You're just a man who has been blessed by powers that are given to you by God. And now you're going to let the Lord's people go. And they're going to go in the desert and form Wilderness Community Church. (laughs) Later changed to Cleft in the Rock Church. Now, I want you to understand what he's asking. The population of Egypt at this time was 4 million people. Moses is going to take 2.5 million people away. You take away an entitlement program (laughs) that big, and you're going to cause a revolt. 
And Moses did. I don't know what comes to mind when you think about Moses. Some of you might say courage. I think not really that. I think how he prayed when he was afraid. Because that's really what I want to talk about today. That if you, how you pray when all your resources are gone reveals who you love and what you trust. So we're going to look at another prayer of Moses. We looked at one last week. But last week I was flying. Very proud of myself. We did 17 chapters in 30 minutes. A lot of times I don't even get a verse here in 30 minutes. So we're going to look at another one of his prayers. We looked at one of them last week. But here's the, here's the, the background. Moses was on top of the mountain when God was giving the Ten Commandments. Is what it says. There was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the whole mountain shook violently. So out of the cloud of glory, God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. And before he could even get to the bottom of the mountain, he had only been up there 40 days away from his people. They had already turned and started worshiping the gods of the land that they came from. They had been highly influenced by the culture of Egypt. And, and so God was calling Moses to lead these people. So this is his crisis prayer. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you'll send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways. So I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So in this conversation between Moses and God, and that's, that's all that prayer is. If you're new to Christianity, you say, what is prayer? Prayer is a conversation between two people who love each other. The God who loves us speaks to us by way of scripture. And we who love God speak to him by way of prayer. Prayer is a conversation between two people who love each other. And Moses and the purpose of prayer is that by talking to this God who has talked to you, you deepen your love for him. That's the purpose of prayer. You love him more by talking to him. Look how it affected Moses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as friends talk to one another. Now, this verse may mess with you a little bit. If you were here last week, you, you know, because remember Moses' big prayer is, God, I want to see your face. And God told him, you can't really see my face. And then live through it. So we get sort of caught up in these English words because God has, it's difficult for God to communicate himself to us. So he has to use language familiar to us. But God is a spirit. He has no face. <laughs> He's immaterial. He has no face. So he uses the word face so that you'll understand things like, when you see my face today, you know if, if I'm happy, I'm intense, I'm pleased. But if I were to preach the whole sermon and you just look at the back of my head, it's, it's much less personal. So this is just poetic way of talking about how close, how close God and Moses were. So as we turn, return back to Moses' prayer, the one we're going to study today, Exodus 33, I just want to sort of tell you what the prayer how we're going to outline it, and then we'll come back and look at it individually. This is, Moses asked for three things in the prayer. He said to God three things. I, 
I don't know how I'm going to do this. But I want to know you better. And I want to I serve you. I, I don't know how to serve you. But I want to know you. I want to hear from you. And then I want to see your people flourish. I want to see your church flourish. And so God answered that, those three requests in two ways. God said to him, I'll be with you every step of the way. And I will help you finish the journey where you will experience great rest. Now, just to, so I didn't make that up, let's look at the prayer. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, love that. You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses was always talking with God about what he, he didn't have, resources, his inadequacy. Somebody told me this week, how could Moses be the greatest leader in the world? Because he was always having this, these doubting talks with God, these fear talks with God. Listen, there's a book that's floating around now. It's called, It's Okay Not to Be Okay. <laughs> Listen, it's okay to tell God you're doubting all this stuff and you having trouble believing. It's just not okay to be saying that you're doubting and not talking to him about it. You're fine. The world's greatest leader had a lot of doubts, but he was always talking to God about the doubts. That's when you know you're in good shape, not, not in trouble. Moses was so aware of his inadequacy that from the very beginning, he was pretty much trying to tell God why he couldn't do this. When God called him and said, I'm telling you to go into Pharaoh's office and tell him, let my people go. Moses responded, I'm not really good at public speaking. Exodus 4, Moses said to the Lord, pardon me, <laughs> Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. And God very gently replied, I'll help you. I'll send you to Toastmasters. <laughs> I'll teach you how to speak. Not good enough for Moses, the doubter. He came up with like not even hiding how he felt. Uh, pardon me, could you just send someone else to do this? <laughs> I like the, the Lord got a little bit more intense now. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and said, what about your brother Aaron? I know he can speak well, and he's already on his way. So that's how Moses and God began. God gave the vision. Moses panicked. And God sent Aaron to do the talking for Moses. And I just love that phrase. How precious is that? Hey, Moses, the answer is on the way. Isn't that interesting that God sends the answer before we even know the question? The answer is on the way is on the way. And for some time, Moses was comforted by having Aaron there. It was a good thing. They, he was comforted by what Aaron brought. And especially when the battles first began, because they had to fight about 30 battles to get from Egypt into the new land, about 30. And the key general in the fighting was a guy named Joshua. One of the first battles they fought were against a people named the Amalekites. And interesting how the, how the battle went. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight against the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand. This is Moses talking to the general. Tomorrow I'm going to stand on top of the hill with the staff of God, the stick. 
the walking stick he had in my hands. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites um, were winning. So Joshua's down on the plain fighting. Moses is on the hill. And he's holding the staff of God. And remember, this is the same stick that he held up. And when he held it up, just a few days earlier, the Red Sea parted. And God formed an interstate right through the middle of the water. Powerful stick. <laughs> Blessed stick. But sticks are heavy. And this is what happened. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron, there's his brother again, Aaron and her, held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army. If there is one verse of the Bible that typifies, symbolizes my 35 years in ministry, it's right here, of people holding my hands up when I was tired. I mean, I owe everything to the grace of God working through people. I, when I finished Speaking a few weeks ago at my mom's funeral, um, a woman named Sue Griffin uh, came up to me, and she's 75 years old now. It's an important age for the story. And she said, Richard, you know, I, I, know, I know what she's about to say. Um, I pray for you every day. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't say those words to really anybody. <laughs> Because that is so large to say that with integrity. But let me tell you about Sue. Um, every Sunday night around 6 o'clock around here, a bunch of adults gather and form discipleship groups and lead our middle school and high schoolers. That's what happened to me when I was 16 years old. Significant part of my journey Sue and her husband, Bob, opened their house on Monday night, and I started going there at 16, the first time I'd ever been in a D group. Changed my life because of adults giving up their time. That was 44 years ago. And she has the holy audacity to say, I pray for you every day. And she tells me she's never missed since I was 16. I am who I am because of the community in my life of people holding my hands up. I know you hear us talking about this a lot. You hear community groups. What is that? I'm just telling you, you just, like you say right now, things are going pretty well. Well, they're not going to always be going well. And you just need people to hold you up. You got to have it. And I mean, even the vision I have for this church it's like none of it really happens. Like, do you know I've been a pastor for 35 years? I've never served in the nursery. I mean, it's sort of hard to do both, but you just think maybe there's one Sunday, you just try it out. Nope. And, uh, <laughs> but let me tell you something. Today, I'm holding children through other people's arms. I have a desire that children be held and loved and taught well during this hour of worship so that adults can find Christ. So 
through other people's hands, extending my hand, my vision's carried out. And every Sunday, there's a group of church planters in India that watch this message because somehow clicks that I make here and happen here go through there and broadcast from that glassed-in room because people's arms are moving all sorts of stuff. I am who I am because people have held my, my hands up. And that's what, that's, what, that's what Moses had with Aaron. He held his hands up until it all fell apart. Remember when Moses went on the mountain and all the people down were in the, in the valley 40 days later, they were worshiping all the gods of Egypt. Moses had assigned Aaron to watch out for that. Like take care of the people, Aaron. And this, so when Moses came down, he asked his brother what happened. This is what his brother told him. Now oh, don't be angry. Aaron answered, you know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. So I told them, well, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this metal cow. <laughs> so we laugh at that, but it's a nervous laugh because we know that, that Aaron is dodging. And he's trying to excuse his sin and God can forgive any sin in the world except the one that's not confessed. I mean, Jesus Christ hung on a cross for sins, but he didn't die for excuses. I mean, you could be a master of convincing yourself that, you know, it was right what you did. And you could, I mean, I'm naive. You could fool me, but never God. It's like, it won't work. And, and so when... Moses saw that Aaron was not going to come clean. Like that day was the day that Aaron could no longer hold Moses' hands up. And that's why I think Moses prayed this way in verse 12. Moses said, Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me because now he's not got Aaron. And so he's wondering, like, how, how, what's going to happen I mean, I think you can really see Moses on this stage of history, like doing this 360, looking around, and he doesn't see an answer. Because he knows, remember, he knows his inadequacies. He's been very honest about his inadequacies. And look at God's tender reply. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I mean, you know, there's going to be times in life where despite you know, your best attempt to find community, there's just times in life when you're just playing out alone. It may be because you've been actually deserted by somebody. I mean, that's, I mean, I, marriage. It could be that you're not really alone, but the people that are around you, your pain is so deep your eyes are just glazed when they're talking because there's no way they can identify with you. you. So regardless of this, there's times in life where you just feel alone. And God tenderly at that time, you know, says, I'm with you. 
When I was growing up in the 1980s, there was this advertisement, it's crazy, where this woman came home from a hard day of work and she ran the bathwater, poured Calgon bath powder in it. And the phrase comes across the TV where she's saying, oh, Calgon, take me away. <laughs> well, Calgon's not coming. And the trial is not stopping. So, I mean, the only way through the, to the other side of the trial is through it. And sometimes it feels very lonely, and God says, I'll be with you every step of the way. You and I are going to finish this thing together. You know, when you read the New Testament, and Paul, in his, all of his letters to the churches, you get to all the letters, and he ends them all about the same way. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanking everybody that partnered with him in the gospel. He's thanking everybody, except one. One letter... He said, there was a time in my life when I was in prison for preaching the gospel and there was no one there. So he writes about it and I appreciate his candor. 2 Timothy 4, 16, at my first court defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and I was delivered from the lion's mouth the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's what God was trying to tell Moses. Whether you have Aaron or not, or you have other people or not, I'm with you, Moses. I'm with you. And we're gonna make it to the promised land. So the first thing Moses prayed for, I need help. God's response, I'm your helper. Second thing he prayed for is, I want to love you more. If we're going to do it, if it's going to be this hard, I want to love you more. This is second prayer, Exodus 33, 13. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. It's really not, this is really not how I would expect the prayer to end because it's really not the way we pray. If you're pleased with me, could I please but get the house? Said, Would they accept our bid? Me, bring me into your classroom and if put you're a pleased with me, God, presentation of your greatness game, so I will child, get who you are. Because I don't get who you are right now, God. I'm not stunned enough by you. And because I'm not stunned enough by you, I don't love you as I could and should. Would you teach me your ways? Would you teach me your ways? I think the greatest use of your tongue and lips would be to pray the prayer. God, help me love you more deeply and see you more clearly. Yeah, I'd pray that every day. Have you ever asked God to help me love you? It's crazy when I started doing that. Help me love you, God. And there was, you know, and Moses said, this is going to lead to something. He said, the more that I look at you and the more I love you, <clears throat> the more favor is going to come on my life. The more divine help is going to come on my life because when I really get you, God, and that you are ultimately the only one who influences everything, I'm going to look to you for help. But if I don't love you, I'm not going to be seeking favor. 
Because I just will be doing my own thing. I'm going to go from event to event. I'm not even going to ask about the blessing of God because I don't really care. I'm doing my thing. So he says, if I, would you teach me your way so I can see you? Then I will want you. I'll need you. And you give me favor. You say, what, what is favor? The favor of God is the most important thing that can be given to you. Because it is the king, the heaven, the judge of heaven and earth, treating you with grace and mercy so you can accomplish what he's called you to do. In other words, the person who ultimately influences everything, you want help from him. That's favor. Favor is, you say, what is God's favor in your life? God's favor on your life is God's arrangement and involvement in your life so that what happens in your life is humanly impossible. That this favor. I mean, the reason why we even have these 260 churches in India and these children's homes that you're giving to is because when I was 33 years old, I ended up at a prayer meeting at Jones Creek Country Club when a man was there for just, I used to meet with a bunch of pastors at this country club to pray. And we, and one day this guy named Peter walked in and said, uh, we're looking for some people to teach for two weeks in India. Richard, would you come? And that's what has resulted in. That can, that's favor, humanly impossible for all the circuit, the, all of the pieces to fit together. And that's what God wants to do in your life. Things that are humanly impossible. So that you can be a part of his, part of his, part of his work. And that's really the third prayer is, is really, that's, that's why Moses wanted favor. Because I want to help your people. So he prays, God, remember your people. And he's not saying that because God has forgotten. It's just because his memory now, Moses' memory has gotten better. Oh, my goodness. Life is about the people of God. You can pretty much measure the health of your relationship with God by how much you love the church. It's everything about the Lord's people. The fact that God would reach down and choose a group of people in the Old Testament through whom he was going to bless the world. And the whole world, 4,000 years after that history, depended on this people staying strong. And Moses said, I want to be a part of keeping these people strong. Every time I get discouraged about the work of ministry, I just can count on Ronnie to say, hey, bro. We endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that is theirs in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2. So this is, the, this is what prayer does. I told you a minute ago that prayer increases your love for God. You talk to him, you're going to love him more. Don't talk to him, you're going to love him less. No doubt about it. Prayer also increases your love for people. Do you know you're going to fall in love with the things you pray for? You start praying for these children in the inner city and the neighborhoods that go to and you start picturing in your mind little children, not just like, what are they feeling? What are, they, what's the, what are their dangers? What are their needs? What are their longings? 
I mean, you know how much you would give, you do give for your children and you think, okay. And then you begin to pray for them and you love them. And then when you begin to love them, you're at, you, then you begin to pray, God, I want favor on my life so I can have influence with them. You, the same thing with the children in India. You begin to see pictures of children in that uh, orphanage that were left on the streets, abandoned, and by God's grace, because his favor caused us to connect with people who know how to go find them and care for them and house them, clothe them, educate them, and lead them in worship to Christ. And you start praying for that, and you're going to just love them more and more. And then you're going to say, God, I want, to, I want favor on my life. I want to be, give me some of that. I want favor so that circumstances are arranged in my life, that I have influence. <laughs> you know, this, this love for, a lot of times when you think of Moses, the first thing that comes to mind is not, oh, he was a great lover of people. We just I don't know, he's a, the greatest leader in, in the Bible. And we say, I don't really ever think about Moses loving people. Uh, he loved people. Let me, and God grew him in that love of people by testing him. You remember when they were, Moses came to the mountain, uh, I told you they were worshiping the cow? Well, this is, this is what God said about that. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. I love that. I'm not going to look at God. You're not going to make me look. Now leave me alone. This is God. Now leave me alone that, they may, that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and then I'll make you into a great nation. So God says to Moses, I'm going to wipe them out and you know, find you a wife, get married, have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. We'll just do the whole thing through you. I was going to do it through Abraham's family, but now I'll just do it through your family. And God threw that out as a test to grow Moses' heart God wants to say, I want you to love. Like, I want you to argue against me. This is not a great idea. Argue in prayer for people. Moses did. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord and said, Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Like, there have already been a bunch of miracles. This is not the time to turn that off. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that that God brought them out just to kill them in the mountains. So Moses said, God, if you can't keep your church functioning in this world, then the world will see you as just an irrelevant God. Maybe even a mean God. So then he goes on, second argument. God, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, another name for Jacob, whom you swore by your own self, I will give your descendants all this land. I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. So once again, God, Moses is arguing to God, if you wipe them out, then the world is going to say, God can't get his people home. It's not a good father. Can't get his children home. And then, of course, um, the greatest prayer Moses ever prayed 
stunning prayer. He said, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book and you take them on to the promised land. I, I don't know. I can't even get that. This is what he's saying. He said, if I don't have the capacity to lead, that's okay. Take me out. But don't harm them. The same prayer was prayed by the Apostle Paul in Romans 10. He said, I wish that I could be cut off, accursed, or cursed by God if it would mean that the nation of Israel will come to Christ. He prayed that prayer. That's loving people. That's what happens when you begin to pray for people. You just love them. You, like, you get out of control crazy in love with people. And let me just say, for those of you who are married, I'm telling you, maybe I would say the first way to begin to revive a dying flame in that marriage, and we all go through that, is just start praying for your spouse. I mean, it is amazing how busy I can get and not really pray for Lisa much on a certain day. Just like, do, 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 thing, thing, thing. Event, event, event. But then when I stop and pray for her, and I think, well, gosh, you know, she's got to be at school at 7, teaches children, gets home at, you know, 4.30 or 5, and then has classwork at night. If I start saying, oh, God, thank you for all the sacrifice she makes for our family and, and help her cook a good meal for me tonight and, <laughs> and let her be safe when she's cutting the grass. The more I pray for her, seriously, the more I love her. You will love what you, what you pray for. You know, I, I, um, I begin this message by saying that Moses was the greatest leader in the Bible. And, you know, was it really true? And I, I knew when I said that I was going to come back to it at the end because it's not true. Because the greatest leader in the Bible, he's so different than Moses. That God doesn't even compare him to Moses. He contrasts him with Moses. It's not comparison. He said exactly the opposite. And his name, of course, is Jesus Christ. This is what God says about the, our Lord. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So it's like Moses went up on the mountain to receive a set of laws to come back and give to the people that they would not and could not obey because of the hardness of their hearts and that stiff neck problem. So Moses went up a mountain to give them a law that condemned them. Jesus Christ came down from heaven with the same laws in his hand except that they were covered by his blood so that every one of the laws that was broken under the time of Moses and in your life and my life was still valuable to God but now it was forgiven by Jesus Christ <laughs> I mean the whole story of the Bible is in those two characters a law that condemns and grace and truth that forgives the band is gonna you know come up in a minute and I mean, song number four is, I guess, about, just about our favorite in the church right now, I think. It's, 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 it's a song called There Was Jesus. You're going to love it. I mean, we've sung it before, but I think you're going to love it today because I started thinking about it. 
you know, when, when I, I mean, I obviously knew the song said and all that, and I started thinking about it. It's great. You're going to love the lyrics. But think about how precious it is that we live in the times after Jesus has come. I mean, we're about to celebrate Christmas. And everything changed then. Just think about if the Bible had ended after the 39 books of the Old Testament and there were simply just laws that condemned you. So I said, you know what? I think I'll write a song about that. Because if Jesus Christ had not come and there is no such thing as the New Testament and there is no such thing as the age of this church, then it's just laws that cannot be obeyed. And the only praise course, praise song they could have written was like, it went like this. Every time I saw God's law, I saw my sin. No matter what he said, I failed again. Everything he said was clear, yet it made me live in fear. There was Moses. And that's without Jesus Christ is the only song that could be written. Jesus Christ changes everything. Every moment of your life that has been seen by God and that was lived in disobedience is covered by the blood of Christ if you'll place your faith in him. And his Holy Spirit will come in your body and give you the power to actually love the law of God. He changes everything. Gives you the power to love at home. Gives you the power to love at work. Gives you the power to want to adore God. Jesus changes everything. So instead of every second of your life being covered with condemnation every second of your life, you can say, it's covered in grace. And you can sing, there was Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.